Hello, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising is One podcast. Before we begin this week's episode, we just want to give a few shout-outs to our sponsors, Firebird Rising, The Beautiful Game Network, and Oro Brewing Company. Oro Brewing Company is located in Mesa, and feel free to use the code word RISING after any Phoenix Rising victory or during the off-season and get happy hour pricing for your drinks. Firebird Rising is available at firebirdrising.coreair, K-O-R-R-A-I-R, .com, BGN FM for the Beautiful Game Network website. And then if you want to give us any feedback or ratings, please go to iTunes or Stitcher and do that. Any ratings or feedback would be greatly appreciated. And now, let's get on to the show. Hello, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast, and I'm here with Jeff Wentz as always. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great, Dominic. How about yourself? I'm doing all right, and we've got a lot of news to run through because that's going to be the biggest thing, just all the Phoenix Rising players that have come back, but we've also got to touch on the four MLS finalists for expansion in 2017. We've got to talk about the Mobile Mini Sun Cup, where Phoenix Rising is going to have four matches against MLS clubs, and we've got to talk about a couple other small housekeeping things too. So it's going to be a fun episode. We'll also have an interview with my friend James, talking about a lot of World Cup stuff since the World Cup draw happened since our last episode. Any thoughts before we jump into all these player signings and everything else? Well, a lot of great player signings this week, obviously, and it's great to see that that you know a lot of the core players of, of the group from last year are coming back and it's definitely going to make uh, for an interesting 2018 season coming up yes it definitely will and it's nice to see this you know this uh, group realize that look these players worked very well together you could see it by the results at the end of the year and to bring in so many of those core pieces to our late season run so soon because you know my experience from last offseason was a lot of these signings are made in like January and February there's all sorts of shuffling so it's nice to know we know our core group that's that works together and now we just want to run it back and take the league by storm so that's cool to see that it, that it is and you know, let's kind of let's kind of walk through the list real quick. Is you know, as they as they signed this week uh, on Monday, Definitely. it was it was uh, you know the announcement of Alessandro Rigi in the midfield and and Carl Wozinski in the net that that were the first uh, re-signings uh, announced this past week. Uh, follow that up on Tuesday with signings by uh, Chris Cortez and Amadou Dia. Uh, follow that up on Wednesday with. Uh, Kavon Lambert and uh, Jason Johnson and then uh, just announced on Thursday was Gladson Awako and, and Duigi Mala and 
I tell you what, <coughs> excuse me, a great group of signings uh, by these, you know, by this club. Uh, you know, you and I talked before the telecast. Uh, uh, Jason Johnson obviously is the key signing here. You know, in this group of eight core players that have come back. I mean, obviously Johnson had. I'm sure had his opportunities of looking at possibly catching on with an MLS club, but you know, another year here in the USL and, you know, let's see if he can, you know, do as well as the 14 goals he scored last season. Uh, you know, if he, I, I think even if he hits, let's say 10 to 12 goals this next season, I don't see how an MLS team can't look at Jason Johnson and say, come and play with us, you know, at this point now. it's a ma- It could be a matter of waiting to see, you know, whether Phoenix gets that MLS bid and, and you know, and they can hold Johnson, you know, for that length of time. But, you know, we'll, ha- we'll just have to see where that goes. But, you know, like we said, I think if you look at the key signing of this group of eight, it had to be Jason Johnson. Yeah, it's pretty impossible to disagree with you there. What he meant to the team in the second half of the season, and, you know, we've covered it ad nauseum. There were games where he just single-handedly willed the team to victory. So I think you have to look to, okay, excluding Jason Johnson, who is the next best signing? And I think we are in agreement that it's Kavon Lambert because he's so young, because I thought he was one of those guys that could get a look from MLS sides for the 2018 year. But it's nice to see he'll be able to build with us again. And, you know, I think that's why we were able to get a lot of guys back so early in the offseason is they're saying, look, come back this year. And then, you know, if we get approved for MLS to start in 2020, I mean, now we have a more realistic chance of bringing people back in and just keeping you for the jump. I mean, that's... that. I think the Lambert one is fantastic, though, because you're going to see him develop. He was only 20 last year. Yeah, you know, and I think another interesting thing too is, you know, you look at a solid coaching situation, and Patrice Carterone definitely gives a lot of these players the feeling of, hey, I belong somewhere. I've got a coach that likes what I do. I've got a coach that that knows my role as far as a player on a club. You know, you're not going into other places saying, well, what can I do? Where can I fit in? You got guys that already know where they're going to fit in because of the way the, co- the coach is and his style and his manner of play. <coughs> Excuse me. I think, you know, that is that was huge when it came to some of these guys, I'm sure, making the decision. You know, when you've got Patrice Carter on sitting right there, and just trust. I mean, I think I think that's probably the biggest word you can use with a lot of these guys is they trust what Patrice is doing and they trust in in, in his system and his his outlook on things. Yeah, again, really good points. And I think one player that really reflects the trust was Amadou Dia. He had a pretty big announcement on Instagram right after the team unveiled it. He had a great statement, you know, really looking forward to coming back next year, uh, ready to make the next step, and he had like a trophy and a hundred emojis, so that was kind of cool to see. He was one of the guys, even after we lost in the playoffs last year, that was pretty adamant about, you know, good season, but we're taking the next step. So I 
I don't think it's a real surprise to see him come back. He's good friends with Didier Drogba already, but it is indicative of the trust that these guys have for him. You know, another example being like Gladson Awako, who, when we interviewed him back in September after one of the matches, he talked about Carterone being like a father figure to him. You just don't hear that from, you know, players for a second division American club very often. So that was a pretty big eye opener. Yeah, that it was. Um, you know, it's great. It, it's great to see all these guys. You know, just not only get behind him, but realize what they accomplished here and what they still can accomplish. I mean, most guys at the end of the season would just be okay. You know, we had a great run. It was a great season. You know, but when you've got so many guys turn around saying, we want to finish what we started, what else can you say? But, you know, things are looking up and up for this club. Yeah, and it's funny because the on-field performance, as much as people want it to, really doesn't have a major correlation as far as getting into MLS. But regardless of that, the players all seem to have this common mindset that, look, we're, we are trying to finish what we started. We know we're capable of. We know we can win the whole league. And last year, it almost felt like it happened just a little bit too quick, just a little bit too late. They were starting to grasp their full potential, but with a full off season with the coaching staff coming back, getting to play four matches against MLS clubs in the preseason, it's very clear whether you talk to Sam Dorr, whether you talk to any player, whether you talk to anyone in ownership, that we are gunning for a title next season. I mean, it doesn't always work out that way, but, you know, anyone that is interested in getting season tickets or going to follow the team next year you should be in for some excitement because this is a talented bunch. I'm talking could set a USL all-time points record in a single season if we are lucky with injuries. And that that doesn't even mention or uh, take into account Luke Rooney could be returning, and that would be basically a new signing in itself. Yeah, that it would. And, you know, you know, I, I don't see how you don't try to bring him back and, and try to see if you could center him in the park and you know, be a, be a constant force there. And, you know, you know, we'll obviously all have to see how the, how the injuries coming along with Luke and, and see where he sits in his rehab and and the whole process. And maybe that's one of those signings that you may see late just because of, you know, what he's going through with his knee injury, but we'll have to wait and see on that. That and how he meshes with Patrice Carteron because he was a fixture uh, back in Yallop's lineups, and there have been two coaching changes since. So um, that'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. One other thing I did see earlier in the week, there is going to be a ice skating party for 2017 season ticket holders, and Sam Dorr back on Wednesday had a, an interesting tweet. There's going to be an exclusive new player reveal. He emphasized new twice in that tweet our newest player and it's going to be a new player reveal so i'm thinking this is going to be our first outside signing unlike uh, a lot of these players coming back for a one year or who knows maybe even longer um so keep your eyes on that we'll get you the name of that player as soon as possible because i will be there for that on tuesday night 
That's good. Let's uh, let's kind of roll into the other big uh, announcement that the club made this week. Uh, you know, Phoenix Rising partnering with FC Tucson. I wouldn't say necessarily partnering with them as much as you know now that that Phoenix or that uh, Tucson FC is is uh, is in the fold. You know, as far as being part of uh, under Phoenix Rising, that uh, they've rebranded the. Uh, Kino Cup, as it was called beforehand, now it's now being called the Mobile Mini Sun Cup. Uh, obviously, Mobile Mini being the presenting sponsor for the tournament now. Uh, still happens down in Tucson, uh, except for one game that will count in the Mobile Mini Sun Cup will be played up here uh, in Scottsdale. That'll be the match against uh, Sporting KC on the 17th of. Uh, February, uh, but obviously the club announced this week they'll be playing three MLS preseason matches. Uh, they'll be playing against an unnamed team on February 10th. They'll be playing uh, Colorado Rapids on uh, February 14th, and then they'll be playing uh, Sporting KC on the 17th, which will count as part of the uh, the Mobile Mini Sun Cup. Uh, obviously, Phoenix Rising will be playing a game down in Tucson on February 24th. Uh, that has not been announced yet as to which opponent that will be. Uh, results within the Sun Cup will determine who that fourth team will be. Uh, it'll also be interesting to see, you know, who that first opponent would be. Uh, I think some of it may end up being based on the fact of who's playing in the Champions League you know, in the CONCACAF Champions League at the time. So it could, you know, that could kind of sway the decision as to who, who they play in that match. But just the fact that they're going to play three MLS quality teams up here in your stadium, uh, a great coup from Burke Bakai and, and, and the, uh, the rest of the Phoenix Rising staff to get, you know, this preseason tournament going and, and you know you get nine of the eleven, nine of the eleven other teams that are in this event are all Western Conference MLS teams, which is great. Uh, always love to see uh, New York uh, Red Bulls, and love to see uh, New England come out here for this tournament every year. Uh, you know, it'll be great to see to see them as well. Hopefully, you know, we'll have an opportunity is is to see uh, London Woodbury. Hopefully, again with New England if he's still catching on with the club. You know, it's always great to see those people that uh, that that kind of were the beginnings of Arizona United still kind of sticking around in the league and, and and making a little name for themselves. And <clears throat> like I said, overall, great event. You know, it's great to see Phoenix Rise and get behind it now. And obviously, the huge th you know the huge announcement that came out of it: MLS clubs coming up here to town to play Phoenix Rising in preseason matches. You know, what more can you ask for as a fan than that? Really? I mean, you can't ask for too much more. I think it's a win-win for all involved. It gives our ownership group the chance to mingle with MLS ownership groups. You know, it gives our players the chance to go up against players of that high caliber because last year we were knocked out of the U.S. Open Cup pretty early, so we never got that opportunity. You know, obviously fans in Arizona, a state that really has never had MLS, chance to see players in your own backyard instead of having to travel 300 plus miles to LA or Portland or Salt Lake or Seattle or any other city whose team you support. 
now you get to have them in your backyard really in your backyard you don't even have to go down to Tucson necessarily and it's a fantastic development um, selfishly as far as that undecided side for just for February 10th I would love to see a Wright Phillips brother reunion with Red Bulls coming in but we will see about that and, and by the way great article uh, if anyone didn't see it go to Firebird Rising Jeff Went covered this story right as it broke and he had an awesome article getting all the details out about it it mentions that season ticket holders get the tickets included for the three matches February 10th, 14th, 17th and then also mentions that there can be a mobile mini sun pass purchased for $40 that gets you access to all of the MLS games down in Tucson and I believe that that's actually complimentary with Phoenix Rising season ticket holders uh, stuff for 2018 I'll confirm that with Sandor but I think I saw a tweet where he was saying you know all current Phoenix Rising season ticket holders get to go to the Tucson games for free so definitely be a great event uh, I was down there a couple of years ago uh, to, to cover some games down there at, at the end of the tournament I tell you what you know even if you just get the opportunity to go down there for one day during you know the, during the event it is you know is well worth the drive it is well worth the time to go down there and enjoy uh, some great soccer whether it's inside Kino Stadium whether it's outside on one of the side fields uh, just just a true great time you know for for soccer in general and and to see some great players and some great teams and and you know just just to get the experience of mls soccer that you wouldn't get you know other words you know player access obviously is wonderful you know the players are great when they come down there uh more than gracious with their time more than gracious you know to talk you know I was down there, you know, the players were great to, great to work with. So, obviously, a well-run event by the people at FC Tucson. And, and, you know, can't wait to see, you know, how this event improves now with Phoenix Rising being a part of it as well. Oh, sure. And maybe just so you can sell it a little more, I'm sure a lot of listeners, myself included, have not made it down to Tucson for that event. Um, you talk about player access. You talk about great soccer. As far as the players on the field, are you getting to see some of the first team guys make appearances, or is it mostly just the reserves off the bench? I think sometimes it depends on the opponent. You know who who they play. You know, I know some players. You know, you know you you do see. You know, let you know let's let's say Seattle for example. You do see a Clint Dempsey play for a little bit. You do see, <coughs> you know, some of their some of their top players play. But obviously, you'll you'll see some of the you'll see some of the S two players, you know, get some time as well. So I mean, yeah, I mean, it's obviously a true preseason in the fact that you know these guys are also working themselves up to get themselves ready for the season. So you know, it, it, it's you know it's still it's a good brand of soccer no matter which way you look at it. So. Oh yeah, and. Uh... I mean, honestly, that's, you know, even more than I would expect with no background. I can vouch for at least for Phoenix Rising in its preseason matches. 
and getting to go to Orange County for one that was really uh, more of a closed doors thing there were a lot of starters uh, playing in our match against Orange County last year a lot of guys who didn't play in the matches at GCU um, Omar Bravo had a lot of time in that match um, you know Alessandro Rigi got in for a lot of that match and so you never know not just for the other team but for your own team what kind of development the players are going to make how the new faces are going to be worked in and so that's some really eye-opening stuff too so yeah definitely keep your keep your eyes on that set your calendars looks like it's going to be a great time and i think the supporters groups are already working on getting trips down to tucson or buses potentially so um that might be something to keep your eyes on too So there was another thing that came out this week, and this one really, I did not see it coming. An article in The Ringer, which, um, for those that don't know, Bill Simmons started this after Grantland shut down, but he brought a lot of the staff from Grantland over, and really most of their articles are a little bit longer reads, not just a one or two minute clickbait article, but they really will dive a little deeper. And... We had an article about Phoenix Rising published three days ago by Noah Davis, one of their writers. And did you get a chance to read a lot of this? Because this was very eye-opening stuff. I got to read some bits and pieces of this article, and obviously Noah Davis, a great writer, and, and obviously, you know, d does a lot of great things for them. Um, you know, obviously a lot of this is what else can you really say about you know what we don't already know but there are some little tidbits in there you know of, of you know interesting things that you may not have known of you know how Didier Drogba came about to, to be here and and you know seeing you know seeing how Brandon McCarthy was was in on a dinner and and just sat there and enjoyed seeing Didier Drogba and getting the little background I think was 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 great to read in this article. Obviously, you know, those of us who have been around it enough kind of know some of the history of how it was that that Berkey Bakai became able to to talk to Didier, you know, you know, using his Galatasaray uh connections to be able to make this thing happen and you know, obviously, you know, the, you know, like like I said, those of us in the know, those of us who've been around here, know how how he gets involved, know how Pete Wentz got involved, know how Diplo got involved. You know, obviously, you know, a little bit of background on, you know, not necessarily mentioning him by name, but you know how Kyle kind of got the process started with 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 Wentz and and Diplo and got that ball rolling. You know, and and obviously, but. <laughs> Definitely some a great read from Noah Davis. Uh, you know, I don't know what you took away from the article, but obviously, you not probably not knowing as much of the behind the scenes action as what I probably know. You probably take a little bit more away from this than I do. Um, yeah, a little bit of that. Although, you know, Ian Rappaport shared a lot of that information too when he's when he interviewed with us back in the summer. And so really more of what I was taking away is in the middle where it really talks about the economics of jumping up to MLS. I know this 
isn't the most Im interesting thing to everyone that really cares about our MLS bid, but it is very fascinating stuff about how the expansion fees have gone up significantly. Robert Kraft was able to get into MLS with the New England Revolution for $5 million. Now you're talking about $150 million as the expansion fee, and that could even be going up even higher soon. And yet it talks about the fact that the MLS as a league is not making money right now. What they're doing, they're kind of at this tipping point where they're, they're trying to, you know, get some short-term capital invested now with the expectation that the long-term gains are going to justify it. But it's not a guarantee, especially when you see what's going on with the Columbus crew and how that's alienating not just Columbus fans, but a lot of people around the league. So, I mean, I think just the economics is fascinating. There were two other tidbits that I didn't know, and maybe I just didn't look hard enough, but one is... Didier Drogba was supposed to be the fifth penalty taker in our match that we lost. They confirmed that. He just didn't get the chance. And then the other more interesting one to me was Noah Davis saying that the 27 and 28th teams are going to be announced in early 2018. He made it sound like that's assumed, like that's going to be announced in early 2018. If that's true... I think that really helps our MLS chances for getting one of those spots. What are your thoughts on that? Well, like I, like you and I kind of mentioned, you know, uh, uh, before the podcast. I think one of the the things that obviously, yeah, it gives you optimism. But I think if you remember, we talked a couple weeks ago about the Jeff Carlisle piece on ESPN.com. Um, obviously some of the things that need to happen there, you know, especially with being able to acquire the land, uh, you know, and finding that, that deep pockets person that, that would be the driving force behind getting them in there, obviously, are the two keys. You know, we'll see how that shapes up. And obviously, you know, you know, Sam Dore after, you know, after the announcement came out and said big things happening for 2018, you know, obviously they have some things in line in the club, you know, the club is, is trending in the right direction on a lot of things, you know, maybe they've made a stadium decision and they're just waiting for 2018 to, to finally unveil it. Maybe it has something to do with having all that land available to them and, and, able to take care of that you know we, we don't know what what the club is thinking and obviously but but they have a lot of things in mind so I mean that's that's obviously going to be key to see right at the beginning of 2018 is what they come out and announce right away and see where it goes from there yeah and maybe this is me just reading between the lines a little bit more and again we don't want to make any assumptions we don't want to speak on behalf of the club here but just kind of reading between the lines if it is true that they are going to bring a new you know they're going to add two more clubs to the fray in early 2018 just the fact that we're getting this article right now out means that we're winning the pr war which could result in us winning the actual war several months down the line you saw a lot of positive press this summer about nashville and its capabilities going back to you know the stanley cup finals and 
how great their fans are for hockey, and then the fact that they hosted the U.S. men's national team this summer. There was a lot of that positive press coming out June, July, August. You had the leaked tweet in early September saying, um, you know, Nashville guaranteed a spot. Oh, wait, let's roll that back. But those are the kind of things that you want to have going your way, and you want the national press to be talking about it. And now this feels like we're starting to get out in front on the PR war. So say that these decisions are made in April for teams 27 and 28. Now that you have this article out there for a national audience, what's going to happen next? How is that ball going to keep rolling? And as you were alluding to some big things in play for 2018, maybe we announced the uh, final rendering for the stadium in early 2018. Maybe there's a deal announced for the land, but... Also, the timing. If it is early 2018, that really makes me feel better because I was a little concerned about San Diego getting their funding in order, getting their ducks in a row, and then potentially San Antonio and potentially Detroit. And what it does is all of those places now have less time to come up with a viable bid that can compete against ours. So, you know, maybe, again, reading too much between the lines, but say that two of Sacramento, Nashville, and Cincinnati get in this December, the loser of those two teams and Phoenix Rising would appear to have the best bids if we're going to be talking about it in March or an April 2018 announcement. Well, and another thing you also have to look at, too, and, and this came out of Don Garber's you know State of the MLS speech, if you want to call it that, uh, on Friday, was the backpedaling that you saw on Miami. You know, all of a sudden now, Don Garber doesn't have the confidence in the Miami situation. And one of these teams that's bidding for expansion could obviously take the place of Miami as that club. And you could you could possibly see a three-team uh, expansion announcement come in 2018 if Beckham can't get his stuff in a line. I mean, <clears throat> Garber has been waiting a long time for, you know, Miami to happen. He's been vocal in the fact that, yeah, Miami will get done. Yes, Miami will get done. Yes, Miami will get done. We, we get that. But I think there comes a time when the league finally has to say, look, we've given them every possible chance we can, but now it's time to start looking forward. And I, I think you know the rubber is going to hit the road here shortly in the fact that can Beckham get it done if he can't get it done let's start turning to one of these franchises that believes they're ready and could be part of this you know new expansion line so that's something also to keep an eye on as the next few months kind of roll along as well and one last interesting thing about this article before we move on to other topics is Mark Abbott the MLS deputy commissioner the guy that came out to visit our site back in May 2017, he even met with Ray Anderson and we all, uh, they all hung out at Sun Devil Stadium. He's been keeping his eye on Phoenix Rising's bid and he had this to say about it. Phoenix Rising is focused on the things that they know they need to do, not just to satisfy our requirements, but to be successful. The requirements that we have for expansion aren't designed just to be hurdles that you need to overcome to be selected by us. 
but they are things that we believe you need to put in place to be successful. So what that says to me is he recognizes that the Phoenix Rising ownership group is not just trying to do the bare minimum to become part of the club, but that they're trying to ensure long-term sustainable success. You know, ultimately it's Don Garber's decision to make whether he feels the same way about it, but the fact that one of uh, Garber's top assistants, one of his top right-hand men, recognizes the commitment to excellence that we have going on here, that's pretty nice to hear. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. I mean, you know, it was a great site visit when they came, you know, back in the middle of this past year, and 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 obviously they were told things that they knew they needed to take care of. Obviously, they're working behind the scenes to get those things taken care of. Um, you know, Abbott Abbott was was plain and clear with a lot of these guys, and and they know the situation, and they know what's expected of them so i mean i think that helps i mean obviously having the, having them come out i mean obviously they only visited a handful of sites they didn't visit every single one of these 12 sites you know i think they visited cincinnati i think they visited sacramento i think they visited nashville i think they fit they visited detroit when it was not the ford field situation so i think they they had some knowledge there some stuff uh, obviously they, they visited here you never heard them. You never heard them go to Tampa Bay. You never heard them go to San Diego. You never heard them go to St. Louis. You never heard them go to Indianapolis. So obviously, MLS has their eyes set on certain sites. I mean, otherwise, I don't think in you know any of these other sites, you, you really haven't heard much from them. So I mean, there's obviously something here that intrigues them. Right. Right. And so, as we were saying before. Hopefully this gets the ball rolling and then we continue to win the PR war in the upcoming months and maybe that leads to even bigger news in 2018. But I think all we can do right now is speculate, so let's not speculate any longer. And what else do we got? Yeah, yeah let's, let's, let's kind of wait and see where the MLS ball takes us. We do actually have some supporter section questions. This was a really fun segment we had a few weeks ago. We brought it up for the first time and got some great questions last time. So we'll run through those before we kind of wrap it up and go to our interview with James Chelminski. So let's see what we got here. We're going to start again with uh, Nick Perrier because he sent us a few questions right after we came out saying, look, this is the segment we're doing again. So the first one, well, actually, the very first one came from a longtime listener, uh, Durrell. You can find him at R-R-E-L-L-I-R-E-L-L on Twitter. And he said, would you guys consider a live podcast during the game or post-game at a local pub? Well, that's an interesting one. I don't think we get a live one in as much just because there's if you've seen the Phoenix Rising press box it's very small, very quaint and and not a lot of room to move around. Could I see us doing a post game podcast at some point? I could I could see us doing that. 
I mean that 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 could definitely be yeah. interesting where we met where we meet somewhere and even if we got the fans involved I think it'd be cool as well. Yeah, definitely. There there would be a little bit difficult more difficult logistics for pregame, although I suppose um if we did it early enough we could go to some place like Thirsty Lion or Phillies. But that would that would require a little bit more planning. As far as post game though, yeah, it's definitely doable. Um, I don't know. Maybe if the sound system's a little bit quieter after the matches, it's pretty loud uh, after some of those. But if if that is taken care of, we can definitely do that. Um, and then as far as a local pub, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's definitely something that that I've been thinking about. So we would love to get more interactive next year. Um, Another so so here are the questions that Nick sent now. If MLS picks the final two expansion teams in early 2018, which of the current final four picks do we have any chance of usurping, and why? That's the first one. He has two others, but um, let's tackle this one. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's going to depend on who becomes that, you know, that odd team out. I mean, you know, obviously. I think both of us agree that Nashville is probably in. I think it's a it's a matter of, you know, whether it's Cincinnati that gets that second bit or whether it's Sacramento that gets that second bit. You know, like I see, keep, keep hoping. I hope Sacramento gets it. I, I'm scared they're not going to get it, but I just I hope they get it. Um, I think it would be hard to usurp uh, FC Cincinnati, to be honest. You know, just because they've got so much invested in this and they've got a big area to work with, you know, I don't know that you can really usurp anybody that's that's in the current four, right? Well, if anybody, maybe Detroit, just because of their stadium situation, you know. But other than that, I don't think you can really touch any of the other bids that are out there. Yeah, that was the one that jumped out to me too, is Detroit, because they were trying for some time to get land that was formerly used as a prison. Um, but that looks like it's not going to be able to happen, and so you see them have to pivot and say, oh, we're going to try to do an Atlanta United and just play in the football stadium that was new. And I think actually five years ago, MLS would have been fine with that. You know, seven, eight years ago, MLS would have been, all right, here's the paper, sign up, like we need teams. But it, the, the whole process is so much different now. It's so much more competitive and they have much more stringent requirements. You know, if, if, if NYCFC was trying to get in, you know, five, six years ago without a stadium in place, maybe they don't get in. So I think Detroit is the one that sticks out to me that we can jump. Um, here's another question from Nick. Do you think the club re-signs Colt Hero Rooney? I think we kind of touched on that. I think we're both assuming yes. And then another one. Will we add a new big name this offseason after being spoiled last year the way we were? I think it depends on how you define big, right? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you're going to get Drogba. But. Yeah, I don't know how you define big either. But, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm sure there may be a name or two out there that doesn't get re-signed by, by a club. I mean, obviously, uh, I think one interesting thing to watch in these next couple of weeks, and, and we haven't really touched about it yet, but we'll touch about it here real quick, is obviously 
Uh, the Rochester Rhinos announced uh, last week that they're not coming back for the 2018 season. Um, a lot of good players on that club, you know, are, are obviously looking for jobs, and I would not be surprised if maybe Patrice tries to, let's say, you know, find a good defender that was in that group, you know, to bring over. That would be a good signing possibly because they were – they have always been one of the stalwarts when it comes to defensive groups. So, you know, that would be something, you know, that I would think might be a little bit big, I guess you could say for us. But I mean, as far as, you know, trying to find other signings out there that are, you know, that would even be on a level of a, of a Drogba or a Sean Wright Phillips or a, or an Omar Bravo. I don't think you find anything like that this year. I think it's a lot of just trying to find the right players that, that will mesh with the rest of the, uh, of the core group that you got right now. So, Yeah, now, could we see a little bit of a move out of left field, maybe bringing in another African player or two? Definitely. But I don't think you're going to see a big splash, <coughs> the likes of Omar sure or Didier. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we were both just in agreement as far as like the splashy names. I don't, I don't think it would be possible to get a Bravo or a Drogba type. I think those were more last year just to say, oh, Phoenix Rising, have you heard about them? They're the club with Drogba and Bravo. And then next year people are going to be like, oh, Phoenix Rising, have you heard of them? They're the team that just doesn't lose. Yeah. I think that's what they're trying to get to. Yep. And so a couple more, couple more questions. Both are stadium related, so I think we can tie them together and answer them at the same time. Jordan Janice at jjanice32 on Twitter. Have you heard any updates on stadium improvements, i.e. better players, chairs, slash benches, supporter section expansion, video boards, new concessions? And Pat Moses at Pat. what improvements would you like to see to the stadium or game night atmosphere next season? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you can only work with the land that you have currently at the moment so I don't think you're going to see as much in the way of changes as far as like maybe concessions uh, you know bringing in stuff like that now I, you know you'd love to see a video board but I don't know if they have the, the wherewithal to provide that um, I, I, I don't know that there's much you can do I mean I know there, there was always talk about expanding the stadium and we don't that's going to happen for this next year or not uh, they were talking about possibly expanding the stadium to, to close to a 10,000 capacity you know we'll see we'll see how that decision making happens um, you know obviously you know everybody always talked about the parking and you know hopefully that that issue has kind of settled itself out a little bit we'll see how you know 2018 goes but you know I, I don't see them changing too much to the game experience that they have already out there yeah, the as far as, you know, surefire improvements or updates, there haven't been too many announced yet. Um, I know that they changed the players' benches around, but I think that's that's really the only big announcement that we've heard. As far as things I'd like to see, I think this is one that's been mentioned before. Well, a couple of these, you know, parking, if we could find a way to make that more streamlined, ideally with a second entrance, but, I, you know, I don't know the politics behind it. Um, we would love to get a better uh, sound system that is really heard throughout the field because if you're in the south side or even the the uh, east side or north side, it can be very difficult to hear some of the announcements. 
And of course that's not the fault of our PA announcer who always does a great job. It's just the sound system doesn't really carry too well to some of the ends of the stadium. So maybe that just even means like more speakers in different spots. But that's what pops out to me. Um, you know, as far as supporter section expansion, I don't know if that's in the works. We can't really speculate at that point. But um, in general, I think we have a pretty good situation especially compared to the majority of USL clubs, like people talking about video boards and stuff, we are a second division league, you know, there is only so much money, and any of those things are going to cut into our ability to sign players, you know. I'd rather see wins out there than, like, the nicest USL stadium, and we're not making the playoffs, so... Yeah, it, 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 you know, obviously those things will will change when you know if and when an MLS club does come here, you know, and those things will definitely be things that will be added to a stadium. But I think right now, I think you just kind of have to go with what you have and and kind of go from there. So. All right, and I think that's gonna do it for our supporter section. Then, thank you for everyone that sent in the questions. Please keep them coming. It's fun to talk about. Um. I think that's just about going to do it for our segment of the show. One last thing, we definitely want to shout out the Arizona Impact uh, Major Arena uh, Indoor Soccer Team. Uh, they play in the second division for professional indoor soccer. They play their games at the Arizona Sports Complex. They had their season opener yesterday, uh, December 9th, and I was able to do some play-by-play -play there. It was my first time going pretty fun thing very family friendly too if you're in the area um it's also indoors so nice and warm for a couple hours so if you're just pining for some soccer action definitely definitely give it a shot it's it's fun it's kind of like a mix of soccer and hockey but yeah have you been to any of those i've, I've been out to one before so i mean it was a fun experience obviously uh, uh a, a different brand of soccer but it's a great brand of soccer nonetheless so yeah, and so I think that'll do it here. Now we'll move to an interview with James Chelminski. We had him on way back in, in June when we were doing a Gold Cup preview. This interview is going to be mostly about the World Cup going group by group. So, you know, if you are a hardcore U.S. fan or Italy fan and you just don't want to think about international soccer for the next 12 months, skip forward 25 minutes. If the World Cup interests you in any way, shape, or form, you should stick around for this because this is going to be some fun analysis and we really get into it at the end as far as who's actually going to win the World Cup. So maybe just a parting shot, who do you see competing for the crown? Who do you think wins the World Cup 2018? Uh, you know, watch the draw and, and you know, some interesting groups that are put out there. Obviously, Germany is going to be the favorite, but they, you know, Obviously, Germany put in an interesting group, you know, with Mexico and Sweden. I mean, that obviously gives, you know, it gives them some interesting matches that they've got to play in the opening round. But, you know, you, you still got to think they're the favorites in this tournament. I mean, obviously, you know, you're a fan of soccer. You want to see Argentina do so well just because of Messi. You know, obviously, that's the, the last piece of the puzzle for Messi. It's the last piece of the puzzle for our Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, in Portugal. You know, and obviously they're in a tough group with Spain to start right off the bat. So, I mean, you know, the, the three teams that you would love to see, you know, 
have have good results you know with germany argentina spain obviously and portugal you know tough tough draws to begin the tournament which really makes it interesting to see how it's all going to play out yeah, and if you just had to choose one team right now, are you going to go Germany? I think I'm going to go Germany. I mean, they're just the they're just the well-tested team that they always have been. So, yeah, um, you'll hear my pick later, but it is not Germany. So stay tuned, and you'll get to hear that in a little bit. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Hello, I'm here today with a good friend of mine, James Chelminski. We both went to the same undergrad university, Fordham University, that if you hadn't been following, they had a very thrilling run in the NCAA tournament, unfortunately falling short in the Elite Eight. But anyways, he is a big supporter of U.S. soccer. He follows the game domestically, internationally. We had him on once before. James, how are you doing? Uh, I could be better, you know. Uh, I wanted to see some stars and stripes at the World Cup draw, but it wasn't meant to be, I guess. But it is good to be on. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, I'm sure that we'll have some more opinions about that as this interview goes on, but uh, definitely a tough afternoon the way it played out on match day 10 with really the perfect storm of imperfect things going to deny the U.S. at least a playoff opportunity. But enough enough uh, bitching and moaning about us. I'm sure we'll get back to that. The World Cup draw yeah, was released. Talk about teams that could actually qualify, yeah? Yeah, the teams that did actually qualify. Um, so the draw was announced this Friday. And I know you are following this very closely. Do you want to run through the groups? Since I'm, I'm sure you have them in front of you. Uh, yeah, sure. So the Groups, uh, for the most part, due to FIFA's new draw system, uh, using the FIFA rankings, are pretty even, uh, for the most part, as I said. Um, in Group A, we have the host, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Uruguay. In Group B, we have Spain, Portugal, Morocco, and Iran. Group C, we have France, Denmark, Peru, and Australia. Group D, we have Argentina, Nigeria, Iceland, and Croatia. Group E, we have Brazil, Costa Rica, Serbia, and Switzerland. Group F, we have defending champions Germany, along with Mexico, Sweden, and South Korea. In Group G, we have Belgium, England, Tunisia, and Panama. And Group H, we have Poland, Colombia, Senegal, and Japan. And so what are your thoughts on these groups? I'm, I'm just going for maybe... Two or three things that just jump out at you about these groups. And then I can give a couple thoughts, too. Okay, well, the first thing which I alluded to before is, for the most part, um, I'd say the groups are pretty evenly matched, um, which transitions into my second point a bit. I don't think there's a clear group of death, per se. I, I, I think some groups will be closer than others, Um I'm thinking about Brazil's group, Group E, um, and even Group F a little bit. Both groups have um, clear favorites to top, Brazil and Germany, but second place is completely up for grabs, so that, that will make those groups particularly interesting. Yeah, and, 
any any other thoughts that come to mind? What's I guess one question would be, what's the most open group if you're just looking at it from top to bottom? Well, if I had to pick the most open group, I would say it's uh, Group H, the last group. Uh, just as a reminder, it has Poland, Colombia, Senegal, and Japan. Uh, I could see any two out of those four teams advancing. Um, obviously, the two clear favorites would, or the two favorites uh, would be Colombia and Poland. But both of those teams have had their issues, and Senegal and Japan are uh, good teams as well with good players. So, uh, again, any two two out of those four could advance. Yeah, I, I would agree there. Uh, I mean, some casual fans might not know this, but Poland is actually the team from Group 1, uh, the top uh, group of teams for that group. So they were one of the lowest teams to be in that Group 1, uh, one of the top seeds for the tournament. And so that's a potentially fruitful draw for a team like Japan in pot four, a team like Senegal in pot three, and a team like Colombia in pot two, who could have been drawn with much better uh, pot one teams. Uh, do you want to go through these groups just one by one and just do the top two teams for each group? Yeah, sure. So uh, let, let's start with group A. Um, I think this is a very favorable draw for Russia. Um I mean, they have the second lowest ranked uh, team to open up against in uh, the World Cup opener. And the lowest ranked team, in case anyone didn't know, is Russia. Um, despite the favorable draw, I would have to go with Uruguay topping the group with uh, a very strong Egyptian team coming in second. Yeah, no argument there. That's exactly how I see it. I think... I think Mo Salah, if, if people aren't aware, and maybe they are now that he's been scoring some goals and setting up some goals for Liverpool, but Mohamed Salah, if he's not the best player in that group, he's probably the second best player in that group now behind Luis Suarez for Uruguay. Guy is a beast, and I really hope he can put in a nice goal or two at that, at that World Cup. I concur. So, Group B... Um, I suppose most people would automatically dismiss Morocco and Iran, but as we talked about before uh, recording, both Iran and Morocco are vastly improved teams, very strong defensively. But I, I still think Spain advance uh, in first place with relatively little trouble, with uh, Portugal coming in second. But I would not be surprised if a team like Morocco... Uh, took a point off of them. No, not at all. Um, I mean, both these teams are very well battle-tested. You look at Iran, they went through their Asian qualifying group undefeated to easily come in first place. I think this is one of their best squads in quite some time. You'd probably have to go back to 2006 for a side this highly ranked. And then Morocco, this is a team that needed to get a result at Ivory Coast on the last match day for African qualifying. A lot of people had them losing that match and seeing Ivory Coast through. Instead, they get a 2-0 away win. So you know that team's not going to be afraid of anything. So if there's any team that's vulnerable for an upset, it could be Portugal. Portugal coming off a Euro win 
and Ronaldo hasn't been in great form. They're kind of in an in-between point. A lot of younger talent coming up, a lot of older talent kind of on the way out. Karezma along with Ronaldo and a couple others. So just kind of an interesting time for Portugal. You still like their chances to get through, but they I, it would not stun me at all to see Morocco or Iran get through there. Yes, um, and just to finish up uh, the group really quickly, I, in my opinion, Portugal is one of the most fascinating teams to watch um, in terms of what they'll do at the World Cup because I could see them potentially going as far as the semis, but I could also see them getting knocked out in the group stage. So that will be interesting. And what about so Group C? Speaking of... Yes, that's where I was going. Um so speaking of Portugal and their Euros, uh, Euro run, uh, let's go to Group C where we have France. Um, I do expect France to top the group with relative uh, comfort. I wouldn't say ease, but comfort. Um, and I think we'd agree Australia will put up a fight, but they'll finish last. Um, so second place I'll give to Denmark, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, Peru gets second place to advance. Yeah, and I, I think it's a recurring theme that we're seeing things the same way here. The experience of the Danes, they have, even though they haven't made the World Cup in some time, they've been in these Euro tournaments before. They have a lot of guys with more international experience at the high levels in Europe. And for Peru, one of the greatest stories in world football, this is their first World Cup since 1982, but you have to imagine they're going to have a lot of nerves, and they will play Denmark in that very first match. I could see Denmark getting a 1-0 win there and then using that to get through. Yep. So, Group D has Argentina runners-up of the last World Cup, and in my opinion, e even though they have been struggling lately, I do think Argentina will finish first in the group. Um... And in second place, I have Nigeria uh, going through. And as a quick aside, I think this group will be the most uh, attacking group. I see the most goals coming out of this group. None of these four teams are that defensive, really. Argentina can be at times, but since they are the favorites, I think they'll go for it. And Nigeria, Iceland, Croatia have a lot of nice attacking pieces. Yeah, these are going to be some real fun games. I mean... You talk about a real open battle for second place. On paper, Croatia should be favored because they have Luka Modric, they have Rakitic. They have so many guys that play big roles for some of the bigger European teams. But Nigeria has had a very impressive run in Africa of late. And they stunned a lot of people by getting out of their group at the last World Cup. So they have the experience and the wherewithal. And then you have Iceland, who it's their first World Cup in forever, but they have looked really the strong first in Europe. World Cup ever. Really strong. So, yeah. who knows how that's going to pan out. I, I have Croatia in second, but that's a very open group. Uh, I agree. I wouldn't be surprised if anyone finished uh, second, to be honest. So, moving on to Group E, we have Argentina's second favorite country, Brazil. Um, and I do think Brazil will top the group. Um, and second 
place, I could see it going to anyone, but I do have Costa Rica edging it in second. Um, I think primarily their superb defense will get them the second place uh, spot. Yeah, it's nice to have Kaylor Navas. It's nice to have a lot of experience, especially the experience they had going to the quarterfinals in 2014. Serbia is a team that is higher ranked, but they're also a very green team at the World Cup level. They haven't made it in some time. Um, I don't I don't know if they'll be able to put up goals in this group. And so then it comes down to Switzerland, Costa Rica. And Switzerland has kind of underwhelmed in, in recent tournaments. So I'm with you. It seems like Costa Rica always overachieves. So Brazil and Costa Rica out of Group E. Yes, so then we're going to move on to Group F, which has the defending champions, Germany. And I think anyone who thinks someone besides Germany will finish first in this group is insane. Um, I do think Germany will, will easily top the group with nine points. And second place, very interesting for me. So... On paper, we would both agree Mexico is the second-best team in this group. However, they tend to struggle against defensive teams, as we saw in the Confederations Cup, against a team like New Zealand, who, who they should beat easily. So I do think Mexico will advance from the group. However, I would not be surprised if a tall, physical, defensive team like Sweden finishes ahead of them. Yeah, and it's definitely a group where I think they're going to be sweating it out to the last day. I would be surprised if second place in this group gets out with more than four points. It just seems like it's going to be that kind of a cagey battle there. I'm with I, you. Mexico seems to find their way through these groups. It seems like they're always in a group that's potentially a group of death. I don't know what that's about. But they seem to find a way at least to get second place. And... I don't know if Germany's going to cruise through with nine points. A lot of our a lot of our listeners might not love to hear that, but uh, I think we both have the top two teams, Germany and Mexico, there. Okay. We'll see what happens there. Now, Group G. So, um, from a CONCACAF perspective, I feel a little bit bad for Panama since their first game is going to be a first game ever at the World Cup is going to be against a attack-heavy team, a stacked team like Belgium. Um, and maybe if it was four years ago, I could see Panama causing an upset. But I do think conventionalism prevails here, and I do see Belgium topping the group with England coming in second. Yeah, yeah. You really talked me out of Panama. I was thinking about them... <laughs> potentially topping England as a as a trendy underdog there. England having such a reputation for underachieving, but uh, you correctly pointed out that Panama has a very old squad. And then for Tunisia... The old, oldest team, actually. In terms of the teams that qualify, they have the oldest team out of all 32. Just as a quick aside. Oh, that's uh, that's a golden nugget. And then as far as Tunisia, they're just another team that really hasn't been on this stage any time recently, and I don't see a way through for them. Yep. So we move on to Group H, oh, which might be the toughest to predict, as we alluded to um, at the beginning. 
Um, again, I could see any of these four teams advancing in any position. However, I, I would place Poland as the first team coming out. And I do have Senegal coming in second. Um, and I, I would just briefly like to say why I don't think Colombia will advance. Um, I, I recognize they have great attackers like Thomas and Falcao, even though he is a bit older. But recently, Colombia have been having a lot of problems in defense, specifically with goalkeeping. So I think that's a weakness that other teams could exploit. And I, I don't see Senegal as having a, any big weakness like that, you know? Yeah, and let's let's not beat around the bush. Ospina, the Colombian keeper, has fallen off the face of the earth in the last 12 to 18 months. I mean, not too long ago, we were talking about him as a top, certainly a top 10 keeper on the international scene, and he has just really fallen off since, uh, letting in some howlers, as you alluded to, and almost costing them a spot in this World Cup. So Yeah, that's right. Good point. That's that's why I would put them in second place. I still think that they just have too much class for a team like Japan, for a team like Senegal. I think they can at least grind out a tie there, and maybe that gets them through in second. And, I, I mean, is Poland vulnerable? Yes. But I think what gets Poland through is the strength of their defense. Um, the fact that they have a lot of guys playing Premier League, uh, football in their defense, and then of course you think about Poland, you think about Lewandowski, probably have the most clinical striker in the group. So I'm with you. Yeah. I'll go Poland one, but I'll do Colombia two. Do you want to do uh, the knockout rounds? I think we can skip to the quarterfinal matchups because most of the favorites should get through at the round of sixteen. Maybe maybe one or two interesting matches to look at. Uruguay-Portugal could be around 16. Brazil-Mexico could be around 16. And Poland-England could be a pretty fun round of 16. So maybe just go through those three. Yes. But some of these don't look like they're going to be much of a, much of a contest. True. Uh, the quarterfinals, I think, are where we'll get... The most like, contested games. Suspense-wise, at least. In, in my bracket, and I did my whole bracket, I have uh, a France-Portugal quarterfinal, Spain-Argentina quarterfinal, Brazil-Belgium, and Germany-Poland. That's literally exactly how I see it going. However, this is where things start to get very different for us. So I want to hear your semifinalists yeah. first. Okay, so I have France edging Portugal in the quarterfinal. I have Argentina doing the same against Spain. And I do have a bit of a funky pick with Belgium defeating Brazil in the quarterfinal and Germany defeating Poland. So those are my four semifinals, France, Argentina, Belgium, and Germany. Uh, I I have a France win over Portugal. I have Spain over Argentina, and I'm... I'm curious, what makes you think that Argentina, a team that barely made it out of South America, is going to elevate their level against a team of the caliber of Spain? You know, that's an excellent question. And I I would admit that Spain is the more complete team with 
fewer weaknesses and they com- uh, qualify comfortably. However, when I think of Argentina's uh, qualifying cycle, I, I saw a lot of turmoil within the federation, so I don't completely blame the players. But what stands out to me is the final game they had against Ecuador, where if they lost, they would have been eliminated. And Ecuador scored 20 seconds in. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, we're going to have a World Cup without Messi in Argentina. But Messi showed why he's one of the greatest ever, and he scored a hat-trick. So, in short, I really think Messi will take the 2018 World Cup as his last World Cup in his prime. And I think, I think he'll push Argentina past Spain. Wow. And... uh what about what about Belgium over Brazil? I'm I'm curious about that one because I think a lot of people see Brazil as a potential World Cup winner. Yeah, so on paper Brazil are definitely a team that could win a World Cup, but realistically I don't think they will. Um my my reasoning for picking Belgium over Brazil is I see Brazil as mentally fragile, especially Neymar. And no, I'm not a Neymar hater. I don't have any vendetta against him. But I've, I've seen it in qualifying. I've seen it in a Copa America in uh, 2015. Uh, in 2015, for example, when Colombia were beating Brazil 1-0, a game they ended up winning 1-0. Neymar gets sent off for uh, just losing his mind. He almost got a red card against Uruguay in qualifying. He just doesn't seem mature enough yet to carry a team to a World Cup final. So I think Belgium will be more organized, and they have better talent, I think, in the attack. Um, and I think they'll just win 3-1. Wow. Um, boy, I, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know how I can respond to that. I mean, I have Brazil going through. I think what separates this Brazil team from some other ones is that they have a much better goalkeeping situation in the past than in the past uh, with Emerson and then Allison Becker. I mean, those are two unbelievable guys that you can rely on, and they they've also just in general had a much better defensive record uh, getting through the South American qualifying. They've shown that they can perform well on some of these big stages by. Uh, winning the last the last uh, Confederations Cup. They won the Olympics gold medal. And I know you can be somewhat skeptical about those, but this seems like the strongest Brazil side we've seen since the 2000s, since you had Ronaldo. And so, you know, Belgium's also a team that just doesn't seem to play at its best in these big stages, in these big spots, falling to Wales at the last Euros falling in the quarterfinals at the last World Cup pretty meekly. So, you know, for me, I have France versus Brazil in the semis, and then Spain versus Germany. Those are going to be two amazing matchups. So let's go through the um, end of the I, World Cup. I just want, uh, I just want to uh, say a quick correction. Um, Brazil won the second-last Confederations Cup. In 2013, uh, Germany won the most recent one. Well, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Not not to be a wise guy, just... <laughs> so who do you so got? Who do you have advancing um, from your semifinals? Uh, for me, it's 
France over Brazil, and the the toughest match really for me, Spain over Germany. I was just torn on this one. Both sides can really make a good argument here. I think for Spain over Germany, it's just so damn tough to repeat. You really haven't seen anyone do it since Pele's Brazil squads. It's only happened twice ever, the other time being in the 1930s. And with so much parity among the best teams in the world. Plus, Spain seems to be having a golden generation. Uh, De Gea seems to be coming into his own in net. And with so many attacking options, they were kind of in a transition period in 2014. They've made that transition now. They're ready to, to really make some noise. I, that's a tough one, though. It could go to PKs. But I have Spain getting through. And that puts it as a France versus Spain final. Okay. Um, well, in my semifinals, I, I I feel really weird saying this, but I have Belgium beating France. And before the draw, if you asked me if I thought Belgium would be in the final, I would say maybe semifinals, but not the final. But the way this bracket is is coming out for me. I do have Belgium in the final. And just to explain, I think France are kind of frail, just like mentally frail, just like Brazil in a way. Um, I don't know if I would call them chokers after 2016, but I think Roberto Martinez has done really well coaching Belgium and uh, I, I don't think Griezmann, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think Griezmann has been in great form lately, whereas, you know, De Bruyne has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I just see Belgium in the final. And as for my other semifinal matchup, which is a repeat of last time's final, I do have Argentina edging Germany 1-0 to make the final. So totally different finals for us. You know, on the Belgium pick, I actually, it, it does seem like in a lot of World Cups, you will have a team that surprises a lot of people to make it to that stage. Um, you had you had the Netherlands in 2010, a team that a lot of people really didn't even see as a semifinal contender, uh, stunning a couple squads along the way, and giving Spain a run for their money before bowing out. So, when you have so many teams at the quarterfinal stage and beyond, that are all very close to each other in talent. Things do happen, so it it's certainly possible, but I I don't know. We will see. Um, so what's your final I know, prediction? You, you can laugh at me. You can laugh at me. No, I'm uh, not laughing. It, not <laughs> I'm not um, laughing. So that's, okay. Okay. The Dutch almost did it again in 2014. Um, so so be- before I say the final, I want to give a. I want to give a shout-out to the bronze medal game, you know, the losers game. Um, I would have Germany getting the bronze over France. Um, As for the final, I I think the final will be competitive, but I think Messi will solidify his spot as Argentina's best-ever player by beating Belgium in the final. Yeah, and I... If if your scenario played out, I would like Argentina to win that match. Um, what's going to be fascinating with Argentina is they have so many players in attack 
Icardi, Dybala, Messi, and yet Higuain, and yet you see Dybala and Icardi, who are absolutely blowing people away in Syria and Italy, not even getting in the starting 11 and not even getting on the pitch during their qualifiers. So I know they have time to work that out, but it's going to be fascinating to see what kind of lineups they use at the World Cup and if they can get that attack in order. Because you would think on paper, if you're a casual fan, Argentina's a really attacking team. Maybe they'll concede a goal here and there, but their attacking is just too strong. It really played out exactly the opposite in qualifying. They had a lot of nil-nil draws. They really struggled to score goals. Before that last match against Ecuador, they were actually the second lowest team, lowest scoring team in South American qualifying. So they have some stuff to figure out. But if they do figure it out between now and next June, they're going to be a problem. So, I mean, we'll see. It's going to be fun. Uh, I think it's a France-Spain final. France just edges out Spain. I think France might be the deepest team in this World Cup. They just have an absurd amount of talent, especially absurd amount of talent in their prime. And yes, there are concerns about their mental frailty, but there were concerns about that with Spain in 2010, and they finally put together a good run. There are always going to be those concerns for a team, and yet sometimes they break through, and I do think this is France's year to break through. But, you know, it's all speculation now. We hope this just gets you excited, gets you in the mood. Uh, if I have to pick a third place, I guess Germany over Brazil, but... Any any last thoughts before we move to some domestic stuff? Yep, sure. Let, let's uh, talk about endless expansion, if that's all right with you. Of course that's all right with us. We, we do that anyways. <laughs> so I'm sure you're aware yeah. of the four finalists. What are your thoughts on that? Um, so... I have a hunch as to which of uh, which two out of the four will be selected. Um, I think with MLS uh, seeming keen on moving moving Columbus um, to Austin, I do think they'll put in Cincinnati almost as a replacement team. Um, and needless to say, Cincinnati deserves to be in MLS. They have amazing attendance, amazing fans, um, and everything like that. Um, the second team, which I would not have thought would be an MLS, at least not this early, is Nashville. Um, partially because of the story that broke um, a while back, where a reporter, I can't remember which said that he had news that Nashville would be selected as an MLS expansion team. He did pull back the story later as he couldn't confirm it. But... Um, uh, I, I just think uh, MLS want a solid ownership group, and Nashville gives gives them that. Um, and you know, uh, Detroit, Sacramento, I, I could see them in the league, you know, down the line. But I think MLS will select Nashville and Cincinnati. That's interesting. That's actually what uh, my colleague on the podcast, Jeff Went, predicted a few weeks back. I still think Sacramento gets the nod as one of the first two. Not because Cincinnati isn't deserving, so to speak, but just because they don't even have a final site selected. 
they don't even have an exact pitch like, look, we're going to put it in Newport, Kentucky, or we're going to put it in downtown Cincinnati, or we're going to put it in a suburb near Cincinnati. They aren't even at that step yet, whereas Sacramento has been shovel-ready. Nashville, they know where they're going to put it. They have the funding in place. Um, that's why I think those are the first two, but who knows? I think we can both agree Detroit doesn't really have a chance in this cycle. Um, but what are your thoughts for the next cycle? Because they're still going to need to pick two more teams from the remaining squads. So, down the line, um, I, I think MLS would... Um, at Phoenix, I know that makes uh, you and your listeners happy. Um, if I, um, it, it it's tough. L- like I said, um, even if a t- uh, city like Sacramento and Detroit don't get a spot this time around, I could see them getting it next time. Mm-hmm. And what about your what about your boy Donovan's bid in San Diego? Well, my boy Donovan wants a team in San Diego. Um, well, Southern California is a soccer hotbed. So I could see three teams uh, that close to each other, LA Galaxy, LAFC, San Diego, being successful and creating a, t- a nice type of rivalry. Um, uh, I don't know if MLS will want three teams that close together, though. That is my only, like, hesitation. It could work financially and everything like that. Um, but I, I, I don't know if MLS wants to spread the wealth around a little bit and maybe look to give uh, Orlando a rival, for example, and giving them Tampa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, especially if you're going to be bringing in Sacramento, too, to have five teams in one state and not have any in Arizona seems... Seems counterintuitive uh, if they're trying to, you know, create a product that appeals to as many people around the country as possible. Then again, Dan Garber's approach seems to be that rivalries are the biggest thing, and so maybe he wants a bunch of teams that are close. But who knows? Those are their decisions to make, his decisions to make, not ours. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the Columbus uh, potential move to Austin and the Save the Crew movement. And also, what does this say about the MLS? Are they having their Brooklyn Dodgers moment where they're moving to L.A. and where everyone's eyes are being opened and we all have to realize, you know, this is just a business? Yeah, so to be frank, um, I think what MLS is doing with Columbus is disgraceful. You, you have an MLS original that has given so much to this league. And honestly, my heart just goes out to all the Columbus fans. Um, and I, I think you said it best. Um, this makes MLS look more like a business. It makes it look less of a soccer slash football league like you would see around the world, you know, where this would never really happen in like the Bundesliga, for instance. And this is just another bad example of MLS being Americanized but, and, and just trying to treat soccer like professional sports in the U.S. where you just 
to move a team and attempt to make more money. Right. Whereas in a lot of other places, the team is part of the community. There's that deeper connection. And, you know, I think this is a pretty big uh, shot at all the MLS fans that look that that kind of mentality does not apply here. Um, it, do you feel any differently about that? or? Uh, what's that? Can you repeat that? Sure, just the the idea that in other parts of the world, especially in Europe, the team is part of the community, but here these MLS owners are just showing very clearly that mentality does not apply here. Yeah, th- that's an excellent point. Um, like I said, it just makes MLS look like a bunch of money-hungry thugs, to be honest. And I know those are strong words, but... Um, I think every MLS fan should should support the Save the Crew movement, and this is something I would pose to fans of other MLS fans. Don't think your team is safe either. Like, sure, there there's a few franchises that will never move, like Seattle or LA, but uh, a team like Colorado, if if Columbus could be moved, why 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 can't Colorado be moved in the future or Dallas? You know. Mm-hmm. Or even a more extreme example would be NYCFC if they don't get a stadium sorted out, you know? So I think every MLS fan should uh, be emotionally invested in keeping Columbus, uh, Columbus crew in Columbus. Oh, that's, I mean, you put it so well by saying every fan should be concerned about that. And, you know, speaking of Speaking of fans that have volatile teams, things have been pretty tough for NASL fans lately. Uh, after a really good start to their league, the last few years have seen them try to expand in some questionable markets, maybe make some bad PR decisions. Now the league is looking like it might be on the skids. What are your thoughts on that? Because I know sometimes so, we get too too invested from a USL perspective, so... So let me preface my answer by saying that I support lower division soccer in the U.S. in every single level, whether it be NASL, USL, MLS, whatever. I just want the sport to succeed in this country. So by uh, by default, I want NASL to succeed. However, there, there's no denying they made some horrible decisions along the way. They started off with so much potential having a brand like the Cosmos where the average American who doesn't even care about soccer probably know, knows or at least heard of the New York Cosmos. Um, but a- as the years went by, they just made some stunning decisions um, that made no no sense whatsoever. Uh, one that sticks out to me is they put a team in Oklahoma, Rayo OKC, where which just left left me scratching my head. Oklahoma already had and have two two uh two professional teams in the USL, teams with good fan bases with good attendance. Why are you trying to put a third team there? Why don't you put a team in a community that doesn't have a professional soccer team? So, I said it. Your uh, OKC came in NASL. They will fold at the end of the year, and they did. 
Why? Because they, they had horrible attendance. So there's one example. Another example is NASL trying to directly compete with other leagues besides USL, namely MLS. Um, for example, they're supposed going to have a team around the Los Angeles area uh, next year. And that that is just baffling to me. Do you really think you're going to get any attention if if you're essentially competing with LA Galaxy and LAFC? Like, no, that's just not a fi- financially sound move. I mean, thank you for saying this because these are things that I've been echoing for a long time. But it's so nice to hear someone else come from uh, come from a different background but have the same conclusion. Um, and not to mention, there are two USL franchises for those MLS teams within a 30-minute drive of where that other team is setting up shop. So, yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think there's any possibility that NASL does get its act together and, and stay in Division Two, or is that ship already sailed? To, to be honest, uh, I don't see them existing uh, next year. I know that's harsh, but uh, recently you had a couple of teams, Edmonton and another team which escapes me at the moment. Um, North Carolina FC? Yeah, North Carolina, thanks. So those two teams won't be coming back next year. So you're looking at a league with potentially as few as six teams, maybe eight. And again, I I expect the teams they'll add in California to be lost. So I I, I just don't see them retaining uh, Division II status. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for your time. Is there anything else that's just uh, burning on your chest that you really want to share with us? Uh, we know that it's kind of a late night for you, but really appreciate the input, especially on the World Cup. Yeah, um, all I would say is soon you out. <laughs> you and many, many others. Uh, I think I think our wishes are going to come true eventually. Uh, hopefully sooner than later. And do you want to give everyone your Twitter handle so that they can follow you there, see some of the articles you've written in the past? Sure. Um, so you could find me on Twitter at mcjames10. Um, virtually all my tweets are about soccer, so if you like soccer, follow me, especially international soccer and domestic soccer. That sounds like our uh, that sounds like our listeners. So, definitely give James a follow. And James, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully, we'll be back at it in twenty twenty two, ready to take the World Cup by storm. Of course, thanks for having me, Dom. Anytime. And that was our interview with James Chelminski. Jeff Went and I hope that you enjoyed that. And on behalf of Jeff Went. This is Dominic Kearns. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back in just under two weeks with the latest news, with the MLS expansion announcements, and any new player signings. And if anything even more urgent happens before then, we'll let you know. But until then, thanks for listening. Go Rising!